0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the latest episode of Hardwood Knocks. This is Adam Frommel here with my fantastic co-host, Dan Favalli. We are coming to you live on Locker Room right after the end of Game 4 in the Atlanta Hawks-New York Knicks series, which ended in a 113-96 victory for the Hawks to take a 3-1 series lead. And fittingly, I am wearing my Hawks hat and an old throwback Josh Smith jersey just to rub it in a little bit more to Dan. So,
1: uh, you are low efficiency, it so it makes sense that it's a Josh Smith jersey.
0: That sounds about right.
1: I am exhausted, as you were telling me I sounded like before we started, but I'm perking up as the caffeine starts coursing through my veins as we speak. How are you doing?
0: I'm, I'm good. I'm just sore. I, I spent three hours playing racquetball yesterday and then built a sandbox for my kid afterwards, and I'm just not used to doing that much physical stuff in one day after all of the pandemic stuff for the last year plus so I feel like every part of my body is sore now.
1: Well, how how about the calves and quads? Everything's okay with those? Oh, those are fine. All right. As, you know. as long as those yeah.
0: are fine. Yeah. Except they're, well, like, they're not. <laughs>
1: so look, <laughs> mid talks though, before we get into the bunch of mailbag questions that we have, and if anyone wants to ask questions live, we welcome it, obviously, as always. Thoughts over? Sounds
0: over. I think it's over. I felt like I switched my pick from the Knicks to the Hawks after the Knicks won game two, just because it felt like the Hawks offensive process was so solid, even if it wasn't yielding made shots. Ultimately, the team was getting wide open catch and shoot jumpers from the right shooters. They just weren't falling. But it seemed like the Hawks had made the strategic adjustments and just were the better team in that series. And it's only been validated in games three and four. And maybe the Knicks will win one more, but I don't think this is going beyond six games.
1: Yeah, I did have Hawks in seven. It's looking drastically more like it's not going to be Hawks in seven. It'll be Hawks in five or six. Uh, I think, one, the Hawks defense on Julius Randle has been pretty good, even as he's forcing things. They've put two bodies in front of him and made him Where did that come from? Yeah, look. Even John Collins has had like really good moments against him, and not that I know Collins has been better defensively this year. But I thought Julius Randle was going to be the single hardest matchup for the Hawks to to cover, and he has not been. He's made some pretty terrible decisions, though. I think the Knicks needed this, though, and I I'm not excited or anxious, but we need to have some tough conversations and ask some tough questions about the Knicks moving forward after this season because this was fun. It was fantastic. It was unexpected. It was a pleasant surprise. What is sustainable about it moving forward? And I think game four was an excellent reminder that RJ Barrett is the single most important New York Nick in the big picture. That is your path to having maybe a great player sustainably being the best player on a really good team. It's not Julius Randle. Maybe he could be that for a little bit. And we did talk, we've said, if you want to sign a new extension, we get it. There needs to be another element there. And yeah, there needs to be some more MF and three-point shooters on this team, knockdown three-point shooters.
0: Well, let's not wait until after the season ends to talk about those tough questions. Let's just start with one right now. Like, Has this series changed your thinking about Julius Randle's long-term home in New York? Or is that just too much of an overreaction to what's currently a four-game sample at this point?
1: Yeah, so it has not changed how I feel about Julius Randle. I think for the team, as it should, I don't like talking about – not that I don't like talking about. What it, Players are worth whatever they can get. You don't go into this thinking, we need to max out Julius Randle in 2022, giving him the you know seven-year to nine-year player max. If you can still get him, I think we talked about between 20 and 25 million a year. I don't think it's completely unreasonable. But now you've seen it. like This isn't going to be the number one option on whatever the next great version of the Knicks is. And so if you don't think that you have that in RJ Barrett, and I think they might. It's still too early to say that. There needs to be more help around him, and we're talking more than peak whatever R.J. Barrett is. It's probably two more guys. And so I think it changes the calculus of how you're going to build around him. But I am i don't look at this as a discredit to what he's done all season. And I'm also willing to give guys more leeway when it's their first postseason trip. I think that it deserves to have a learn. And he look, he is the focus of the defense. That's been pretty clear, too, with the Hawks.
0: Oh, it's been very clear. And it's really been shocking because going into this series – I really thought the Hawks defensive strategy would be kind of like that circa 2010 Dwight Howard Orlando Magic era where you're just going to let Julius Randle get whatever he wants. And if he puts up 40 and 15 on a nightly basis, so be it, because you're going to shut down everyone else. And that just hasn't been the approach. And yet he's still been neutralized. I I. I just I didn't see that strategy coming into this series because I didn't think the Hawks had the personnel to shut Randall down so it's just it's so strange.
1: I'm a hundred percent with everything you said there, and I'm going to be interested to see. Just what, if any, adjustments the Knicks are able to make in Game 5 to prolong this. It's not out of the question that they could win it. We've seen them already, though, go to Reggie Bullock more on Trey Young. And he did a good job on Trey Young for a lot of the game. They forced the ball out of his hands. But when you have other shot makers, like a bogey to help you, or if is going to do a little bit better, that's just absolutely monstrous for them. And this Knicks team feels like it's one really good creator and then probably another shooter short of if they actually want to be something.
0: Yeah, I I totally agree with you. I I did also want to go where Noah Odage in the chat just went, which is the good thing about this series is that we've seen Toppin and Quickly be extremely solid given the circumstances. Toppin, for me, has been one of the the few positive takeaways from the Knicks during this series so far. I was really high on him coming into the draft. I thought that he would be the first all-star from this class, which obviously has not panned out well during the regular season. But this is the version I was expecting to see, that high-energy, rim-attacking, nightmare matchup for a defense. And albeit in limited minutes, he's been really fun. And I'm hoping that this allows him to carve out a larger role than we've, we could have expected following the regular season. Um, it's pro- it probably has something to do with Tom Thibodeau and notoriously not liking to play rookies for big minutes. Um, we, we've seen that at every stop throughout his career. So in hindsight, it probably isn't too surprising that he didn't have a huge role during the regular season, but just maximizing his output during this this limited run that he's received in the playoffs, that's huge. And I think that it matters for his long-term value. Has your thinking on Toppin changed at all?
1: By thinking on Obi top, it has not changed at all because he is not Tyrese, MF, and Hal Burton and that makes me sad. I am with you, though. He's been a lot better in the small minutes. I'm going to be very interested to see what his offensive development, uh, excuse me, defensive development looks like. Are you going to be, the way he's moved at points, I'm now wondering, can you steal minutes with him at center, which is going to be huge because he's been kind of all over the place around the basket. Offensively, there's a lot of things he can do, giving you hustle on the second chance opportunities Uh, we know that he has the range I think what he flashed from day one even though it wasn't stringing together in these huge stretches over long stretches he can put the ball on the floor he can make some really nifty passes and so as disappointed as I was that he wasn't Tyrese Halliburton and just made that joke before I he I think he there's a really good basketball player there I don't think it's going to be quite or even necessarily close to as good as Tyrese Halliburton is or let's say a comprehensive player if that makes more sense but they have something there. Can you get to a point, though, where he and Julius Randle are on the court together? Or is that only going to be able to happen against bench-heavy units? But, or can that be a go-to lineup, I think? Because you could do it against backups if you're more inclined to. You know, I would like to see the Knicks play Julius Randle at the five and maybe actually for once in their friggin' lives attack Trey Young on defense. Give it a try, perhaps. Uh, but long-term, can that be sort of a go-to front court? And at this point, given how much Randall's improved on defense, I think it's up to Toppin and that you could say maybe they can be.
0: That's what I was going to say. I think there's enough offensive optionality there with the two of them, given both of their ball handling abilities, that you could probably get away with it in shorter spurts because of Randall's defensive improvement. But it probably should not be a lineup staple. I don't think you're ever looking at Randall and Toppin in the starting five together so much as like mixing and matching the pieces.
1: Which Which is fair enough, but that's also not ideal. Because Randall's going to play how many minutes moving forward, that's going to cap what you can do with Obi Toppin. So one of them needs to be able to play to five if Obi Toppin is going to have a real chance at at developing over the next you know year, two years, three years.
0: Has your thinking about Frank Ntilikina changed at all during this series?
1: Look, all I'm going to say is if you're making defensive substitutions to play him, like five seconds when he's been sitting on the bench cold all game, then maybe it's time to just give him some regular rotation minutes and see what happens. That said, I don't know that he could do a much better job against Trey young than Reggie Bullock has, where at least looking at Bullock chasing Trey young when he's away from the ball, kudos to the Hawks, by the way, for going into those situations where you have bogey on the ball more, make Trey young, get off of it, take Bullock block out of a lot of the actions, or maybe try and get some screen separation there. Uh, I will still ride or die with Frankie Smokes. I think there's a good basketball player in there, and that the Knicks have botched his development under you know however many different coaches he's had at this point. I think it's four. So I don't want to see him leave New York selfishly. The next team he ends up with, whoever signs him this summer, I I think is going to get a nice little diamond in the rough.
0: I'm I'm already planning on buying you a jersey of whichever team he goes to, assuming that he does go elsewhere, which kind of seems like a foregone conclusion at this point. Uh, Relatively,
1: I'm just going to say. That team is going to win the offseason. Fair out. enough.
0: Fair enough. The last thing I wanted to ask you about this series before we move into the mailbag is the Hawks. Uh, it feels like a lot has clicked for Trey Young. You know, He had a, a tendency to put up ill-advised shots even during this regular season and kind of force his offensive game as talented as he is. It feels like everything's coming in the flow of the offense now, and he's still just putting up gigantic numbers while making those around him better. And the Hawks as a whole have really coalesced around him, especially now that all of the pieces are healthy. Like, this is the version of the Hawks we were expecting to see going into the beginning of this season that we were not able to see because of the steady stream of injuries. You know, granted, Cam Reddish is still not available, DeAndre Hunter is still working his way into a rhythm, but this
1: is. Pretty good in game four,
0: though he did. He did. This is the team that we expected to see. Do you give them any chance against Philly in the next round, assuming that they do close out against the Knicks? Look,
1: <laughs> I think the Knicks are probably making it a little bit easier on them on defense, but if they're going to defend like this, hell yeah. I don't know what their answer is, and you could say this for pretty much the entire NBA. What the answer is for Joel Embiid, and if you're able to have Ben Simmons if they really want to have him go after Trey Young they can they have Matisse Thybulle that could do it too they have Danny Green that could do it they have a lot more options to go in those matchups i i don't want to say it won't give them a chance that's a series right now i'd probably pick Philly to win in 5 or 6 i would give them a 20 to 25% chance of winning do you differ from me at all and what is what happens the hawks win that series if what
0: I don't know that I have an answer to that question because I think I'm more pessimistic about Atlanta's chances in that potential series. There's just too many pieces Philadelphia has at its disposal to throw at Trey that can disrupt the entire offense. So I guess you're looking at a situation where like Kevin Herter and Lou Williams are just on fire for an entire series because you need the second unit to be able to win those minutes definitively. Because I I don't see how the Atlanta starting five is going to keep pace with the 76ers when you can throw all of those bodies at Trey Young. I think I would have, I would have said more like 10 to 15%.
1: Maybe I'm too high. I'm look, I'm watching the the Hawks um, just absolutely slaughter my, my Nick. So I might be pretty high on them at the moment. The, we do have a Hawks question, but we did have a question in the chat from um, Shervon asking, you want to talk about playoff Jay?
0: Do you want so,
1: to? Yeah, sure. Why not? It's playoff J. Is Go it? Could it. It technically could playoff J be be John ja Morant, or is you know is this Jason Tatum? Who is playoff J? Am I missing the top butcher?
0: I was deferring to you because I wasn't sure.
1: I was assuming it was Jason Tatum.
0: I was also thinking it was Jason Julius. Tatum. Oh, that's
1: it's pandemic J there, Shavon. So. I guess we can skip over. Look, John Morant's been impressive during his first three career playoff games, just to save face here. No, don't apologize. Uh, But uh, that was, I was wondering if I missed something that was going around.
0: I like that we both wanted the other person to talk because we weren't quite sure what it meant.
1: (laughs) I will throw this quickly about John Morant before we, there's a, we have a great question about uh, John Collins from the mailbag, but John Morant. 101 points in his first three playoff games, joining quite the company. Um, George Mikan, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and Wilt Chamberlain. That's not a bad, bad trio to latch yourself onto. I will say, are you surprised? Kareem did that last in 1970. Are you surprised it hasn't happened since then? I was. Um, Given the speed at which these offensive records have been broken and the frequency with which players take threes?
0: I I think... I'm a little surprised there hasn't been like a one off one, but this feels like the first season where, because of the the ten team structure and everything where the young guns are really able to thrive in these first round playoff series because they've been playing higher level games for a little while longer, it feels like the balance of power has shifted a little bit where there's not just that overwhelming super team right now that there has been in the past. So like typically you're looking at a John Morant or a Jason Tatum or a Trey young who is being asked to play like the warriors in the first round. And that's just not going to go well. So I think the, the, the circumstances have aligned to produce this where the game is faster than ever offensive offense is dominating more than it has in a long time. And there's also not that young guy versus established juggernaut series right now.
1: But the thing is, John Moran is doing this against the best defense in the NBA. And, you know, that, that perhaps right. that happened. Like, that's the, I don't know. It's, I'm, I'm a little bit surprised that it's, this is the first time it's happened in so long. I'm a little surprised. I'm actually probably mega surprised. And I have to be more surprised than you on this. We have a question about your boy, though, John Collins from Jacob Bourne, friend of the podcast. Who should John Collins, who should want John Collins this summer, slash, where should he? want to go now i want you, i want you to leave this but i'm going to throw i think this number is important because this is the number he is going to get given how poor the free agent market is his max salary starts at 28.1 million dollars next year he is going to get that money i will be maybe there's a five-year wink wink deal with the hawks where he's taking a little less to get that fifth year and maybe they give him a player option as part of it Otherwise, he's getting $28.1 million in 21 2022 Do you disagree with that? No, I don't disagree.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think you're looking at one of the teams that's going to have cap space because I get the sense that if he does leave, and I don't want to rule out the possibility that he does stay, especially if Atlanta is competitive against Philadelphia in the second round series, again, assuming they're able to close out the Knicks, I think that he would want an opportunity to actually be... A featured player. Because that's been the biggest concern in Atlanta is that there just haven't been enough touches to go around. He was more involved in the offense earlier in in his still young career. So I wouldn't be surprised to see him like sign a big deal with like the Detroit Pistons or the San Antonio Spurs. The landing spot I really like for him though is Minnesota. It would probably have to be done by a sign and trade, but I like the idea of just continuing to lead into an all-out offensive explosion there.
1: If we had video. And everyone, can yeah, see you're making faces. a
0: disgusted face.
1: You should probably screenshot it so that we could reuse as a reaction. <laughs> that is a terrible fit for him. I know they defended better. Moving on, but you want to be a featured option, to so put him alongside Anthony Edwards, Towns, and right. David LaRussell.
0: Right. That that doesn't quite align with that that first part of the thinking. But that's yeah. going to be a location where he's going to get to run and get to put up shots because there's so much offensive attention elsewhere and it's going to be a competitive team on the rise.
1: I agree that he might want a larger offensive role, and we didn't even see the full breadth of the Hawks this year because of all the injuries. Uh, DeAndre Hunter was a pretty big part of the offense when he was injured. He was probably their, not their best, but definitely their most consistent player at that time. He was, people don't remember this, we've been trolled or I've been trolled by our listeners for mentioning this, he was leading the most improved player discussion when he was injured, or he was at least among the top three, and I know that was super early on. I think if he's going to leave, it needs to be a sign and trade because if I'm the Hawks, I'm not losing him for nothing. And If you go and sign a max offer sheet with whoever, okay, great. We're just going to match it and we'll figure it out from there. I'd be, and if you're going to keep him, I'd be, you know, then you're going to look at having to move Gallo or something because there's just given how well Clint Capella has played, if you care about Onyeka Kungu at all. Uh, that's just those four guys long-term. I don't think it sticks like that. And you do have to start worrying about playing. Trey Young's extension eligible. DeAndre Hunter's going to be extension eligible the year after that. Cam Reddish as well. You still have Bogey on the books for three years. Clint Capella's going to need a new deal soon. So I'm not ruling out a return to Atlanta. That's probably the most likely scenario just because it's restricted free agency. So he might sign an offer sheet. They're going to say, hey, you want Max? Go find Max. And they'll match it. If he wants to leave, it behooves him to work with the team and see if he can broker a sign and trade the places I like for him. San Antonio would be interesting. He doesn't feel like a Spurs player. I'd really like him there. I would love, and they'll never do this because they won't burn their cap space, but the thunder would be fun as hell. Him and Shea Gilchrist Alexander sort of their one, two punch, but they're not going to want to
0: pay. It seems a year early for that. Yeah. I I struggle to find landing spots for him.
1: I, I know people are going to mention and they can get to the cap space necessary. Dallas, But unless the Hawks want Christophs Porzingis as part of a a sign and trade, uh, and they shouldn't. Let's just make that clear. I don't, you know, I don't like the Christophs John Collins fit. There's questions with, you know, Christophs won't hurt your defense, but there are nights where he's not going to augment it. And you place him next to John Collins, who is not Maxi Kleba in the sense that you can say, Hey, go defend Kawhi. That's going to complicate matters a little bit. But you're right. There's, you know, there's not teams when you're looking at cap space. Miami would be kind of interesting. Do you like him and Bam together up front?
0: Yeah, I think it's a pairing that makes sense. I just don't really see it happening. I, if That's one place where if he were to sign an offer sheet, Atlanta would match for sure because you don't want to be playing against him more frequently.
1: I have one more team as well, and I'll mention another team. The Knicks have, I think, the second most cap space behind the, depending on what they do with their own guys, obviously, behind the Thunder and maybe behind the Spurs at this point. Th- that just doesn't work. We're talking about no. like Toppin and Randall. Like the John Collins Randall thing is not going to be much better defensively. They could, if, if they don't keep Kyle Lowry, Toronto's pretty. Pascal, John Collins in the front court with little Chris Boucher. It's a three man rotation right there. Ken Burch probably comes back. I mean, sure.
0: I just, I don't know. For some reason, I just don't love that one. Why? I need a reason. I can't really come up with it. I just, I I think that you're too far away from having the five uh, a legitimate five who can play big minutes there. Uh, you're fully committing to small ball and I'm not sure that that's going to make as much sense if we're talking about a post Kyle Lowry a post Kyle Lowry era.
1: I guess it just feels like they could come up with a platoon center guarding because I think it's more of a problem defensively clearly between Siakam, John Collins, Boucher, If you bring back Birch, you've had OG guard a ton of fives anyway. I feel like it would work pretty well.
0: I've realized, having spent way too much time thinking about John Collins, that I very much enjoy watching him play and think that he is a legitimate high upside talent. And at the same time, I don't love his fit in that many places.
1: (laughs) He is one of those players. Yeah, that's a good point
0: it's it's a really strange conundrum because he is a three-point shooting it's, big who has shown that he has like some defensive chops in the past. He's but, a high energy player, but he doesn't make that sense he doesn't make much sense in that many locations.
1: It's like a healthy Kevin Love situation. We're still a really good basketball player, different players. Want to make that clear. Kevin Love's a much better passer, can create more of his own offense from the post. But where would Kevin Love fit? We tell everyone's saying the Cavs have to trade him, they have to trade him. Who wants and and when you're throwing, if it's John Collins on a rookie scale deal, twenty nine teams, twenty nine teams. Right. When you talk about John Collins on a max contract, that's where the Kevin Love equation
0: comes in. And maybe it's just that he might be one of those guys like earlier career Kevin Love, where he really just is best putting up big numbers on mediocre teams. And that's okay. Like there have been plenty of those guys in the past, and they're super fun. But that might be who he is.
1: Your official prediction would be John I think he's staying in Atlanta.
0: Atlanta. Yeah. It, it, yeah. this The front office committed so much this past offseason. I don't think it saw, during the regular season at least, what that team could be. And there is an opportunity to keep it together.
1: Do you see it? They would have to view him as someone who can play the five or think they could plug the five cheaply. The Hornets would probably be a dark horse to go after him.
0: Man, him and Lamella Ball would be really fun.
1: It's just him and PJ Washington as a front court on offense, a yes. ton of
0: fun too. But defense. I don't know what
1: I don't know what happens. Can you get a center on the cheap though? Because there are sometimes you find diamonds in the rough, but you don't want to get to a point where you're. It would be iffy, but I think they're a dark horse to go after him because they're going to have cap space, and it's the Michael Jordan controlled Hornets, and they are a wild card in the off season. Mm-hmm. I think to, mm-hmm. to say the least. Did you? We have another playoff question from. Cade Hornack, who's going to win a bucks nets series?
0: I'm still picking the Bucks. I mean, the, the level at which Drew Holiday in particular is playing right now gives me even more confidence. The loss of Dante DiVincenzo is a big deal because that takes away one of the, the guys, you, guys you are going to use. It's what?
1: Okay, you're, you're right. Never mind. I take that back. Go ahead.
0: Yeah, I mean, it takes away one of the options that you were going to use to guard Kyrie Irving and James Harden. And ultimately, you have to guard James Harden and Kyrie Irving. I, I still just think that the offensive ceiling, as ridiculous as it is in Brooklyn, it's not going to click every night, and they just don't have much of a defense to fall back on, especially with Jeff Green out now. That's, yeah, that- a, hu- that's a huge loss, too. I don't know how they're going to stop Giannis and Drew Holiday.
1: Well, you know, especially that's why they when you throw
0: Chris Middleton in
1: against the Celtics, was so that you could prolong the series against the Celtics to make sure that he returns <laughs> in 10, 14 days against the Bucs. you don't have to go too long without him.
0: Right. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I've I've been attempting to strike the delicate balance throughout most of this season and the playoffs, where I respect the hell out of this Nets team and think the upside is remarkably high. They could steamroll their way to an NBA title. I just also think the floor is lower than people realize, and I'm not sure that it's that unlikely that they hit that floor in a few games, especially against the Bucs, who who remain a fantastic team that is more built for this deeper postseason run than it's been in years past.
1: And Giannis has yet to go kaboom-kaboom. He was fantastic defensively in the Heat series. The, who's defending Giannis on the box? I, I think Jeff Green is the guy when he's healthy. Otherwise, is Nicholas Are you going ask Durant to? Yeah, I mean, He will, but is the best guy... It's Green or Claxton, right? Um, unless I'm I missing so. anybody. Yeah, maybe Bruce Brown, but that seems... Bruce Brown seems a little tiny for that.
0: The idea of Rondé Hollis Jefferson?
1: The idea of Ron, So the ghost of Rondé yeah. Hollis Jefferson? And <laughs> Noah said in the chat... Bryn Forbes, greater than everybody. That was a sneaky pickup by the Bucs. That was, you know, I still don't understand why they signed DJ Augustine in the first place, but to give themselves like more off the dribble scoring juice and that just makes them so much harder to defend when you have Giannis roving off the ball and then two guys in Middleton and Drew Holiday who can score at every level. And Bryn Forbes, I would say, can score at two. Not going to be the guy that's going to get you to the rim a ton. That has been monstrous for them. So it's, it's funny, the Bucs are noticeably shallower than they were last season. And yet they're so much better for the playoffs right now. And I would pick the Bucs in that series as well. And it's not, I just feel like, even if they the Nets get Jeff Green back in time and he's playing again in that series, what are the answers against the Bucs offensively? And the Bucs, I think, have at least some defensive answers for Brooklyn. Maybe this is a series, though, if you're looking at the concern of that, does Brooke Lopez get played off the court? Because you could get away, you might still be able to get away with it, but they were dropping him back even when Bam Adebayo was up top against the Heat, and they were just like, "Ah, fuck it." We have Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday, Giannis. They could still take that route, but it's a little bit different when it's Jimmy Butler or Bam Adebayo himself, uh, shooting from the perimeter or the other guys the way they were shooting, as opposed to a Durant or Harden or Kyrie or Joe Harris. Like that combination is is so lethal. So there's there's questions on the Buck side too, but. I think there's a chance we a strong I'd say a better than fifty fifty chance right now, and maybe this looks stupid, that we see Buck Sixers in the finals rather than net Sixers. And I think the expectation was it'd probably be Sixers nets just because Philly has just the easier path to the to the conference finals having to go through none of Brooklyn or Milwaukee.
0: With a twenty to twenty five percent chance for the Hawks, of course.
1: Fifteen to twenty. We downgraded it. Okay. I didn't know
0: if I convinced you.
1: I'm sold. I'm all in on Philly. They're still my pick to come out of the East right now. Milwaukee's very much infringing upon that, though. I'm going back and forth there.
0: I do think this could be a series where we see a lot of Giannis at the five.
1: It might have to be that, or it's P.J. Tucker and Giannis as your front court, which the Bucks haven't sure. gone to a ton. they have liked to have another big, whether it's Portis or Brook Lopez with them. But you almost have to, because the Nets are... They, They're like, not they going to play DeAndre
0: Jordan big minutes. They don't, all.
1: they don't play yeah they don't play him and like blake griffin at the five is a non-traditional center yeah uh if anyone again has you can see the speaker request because you were made the host of this but if anyone has questions throw it in the chat you can ask us let's get to another one that we have here you said you did this uh point guards and the most rebounds in playoff history adam
0: yeah easy enough one
1: right this is from bryson which point guard has the most rebounds in playoff history if you gave me a list of five options would I guess which one it is
0: I don't know let's do that because I have the top five written down um so I used Stathead with their position filters um they don't differentiate between point guards and shooting guards so I had to kind of manually filter those out which eliminates the number two rebounding guard Clyde Drexler in postseason history I am going to include Jerry West as a point guard even though he was very much one of the, the tr- classic combo guards. So the top five, and I will give them to you in alphabetical order and see if you can put them in the correct order, are Dennis Johnson, Jason Kidd. Oh, this is bad already. John Rondo, Jerry West, and Russell Westbrook. Is Russ one? Russ is four. 764 right. career rebounds in the playoffs.
1: Who is going to be first then? It can't be a you know, factor
0: in the longevity stuff. Yeah.
1: Uh, I'm already, I'm out. Hit me. What's the five?
0: Uh, five is Rondo, 720. Four is Westbrook at 764. Dennis Johnson has 781. Jerry West has 826. And Jason Kidd has 1,058 postseason rebounds.
1: I understand the longevity argument, but the Jason Kidd is actually legitimately surprising.
0: I don't know that it was that surprising to me because he was always on good playoff teams like at no point in his in his career was he stuck in the lottery or stuck on these teams that had consistent first round exits. And he was playing in the finals early in his career. He was playing on the one good Knicks team before this one of the last 40 years later in his career. Like he he has made a number of deep playoff runs the, the Mavericks teams. You know, time and again. So I wasn't that surprised. I think I probably would have picked had I done it off the top of my head Rondo.
1: Yeah, I, I just thought he hadn't seen enough playoff games because the Celtics were really good at the like, beginning-ish of his career. That's an interesting list. I don't. I, Dennis Johnson is the most surprising name on that list to me.
0: Until you remember that the Celtics were either in the Eastern Conference Finals or the NBA Finals basically every year of his career in the 80s. And he played on good Sonics teams.
1: All right, whatever you're just going to rebuke everything I say. Um, everything, <laughs> every, everyone's name on that list is eminently believable. There you go. This question comes from Maya Rothbaum. We should have asked it already because we just talked Bucks Nets. But who's the biggest X factor in the upcoming Nets Bucks series? Man, people just writing off the Celtics before they even play their their <laughs> game. Four. I don't want to date this podcast, but you can't even respond to this. I would love to see a world in which that series <laughs> ends up being tied two two. It'll be absolute pandemonium yeah. on social media, but yes, the biggest X factor in that series, I'm,
0: I'm gonna say, say Bryn for
1: Forbes. So for the Nets, I'm gonna say it's probably I think Nick Claxton because right now That's my pick as well of Jeff Green being out as of as of this moment, it they need him to do a lot defensively. Would be my guess. The Bucks being Bryn Forbes is interesting.
0: Well, my, my thinking there is your rotation is going to be a little bit shallower without DiVincenzo available for the series. Bud doesn't love going super deep. You need scoring to keep up with the Nets, and you have to get it with the second unit. So I I think him continuing this heater that he's been on is vital for them.
1: Yeah, their their rotations also so thin at this point. Unless you want to say it's Bobby Portis, are you going to pick one? I I actually think...
0: That was my second pick, for what it's worth.
1: I think my pick would be Brook Lopez. And can he stay on the court? Because the Nets are going to play small. And you're at, in theory, a disadvantage for most of their lineups at the five right now. Whether it's Blake, whether it's Claxton, just because he's so quick. He could still probably play Brook because Claxton's not going to do all these crazy things off the dribble on offense. But if it's Blake Griffin, if it's Jeff Green, if it's Bruce Brown, where KD's like kind of the pseudo five, whatever that lineup looks like. Just in general, though, having four, most of their lineups have four just perimeter players at all times. And I would say half of them probably have five when you're looking at a Blake Griffin, Jeff Green situation. So can he stay on the court? And can he hit some of his outside shots? Maybe, or can he be a bruiser in the post? Because we've seen him kind of revert back to his roots a little bit. I feel like in the past few months, not going to get a ton of post ups, but he's like hanging around down low or he's in the dunker spot. Or yes, there are those, those post ups or him trying to back his way down or, you know, dribble the ball in the nets. If they're going to be smaller, maybe that's the route you go is to try to make them. Uh, you know guard brooke lopez in those interior situations you could probably also make a case for pj tucker because if you're mentioning Giannis at the five it's because pj tucker like that's an important uh he's an important to that scenario
0: slight tangent here but i feel like brooke lopez has had one of the most interesting career arcs of anyone in the nba right now just think about what he was on those new jersey nets teams when he was first starting like A 20-point scorer operating almost entirely out of the post with a bunch of skill moves, never took jumpers, was just an atrocious defensive liability, couldn't rebound for shit, and then he became like a defensive player of the year contender and a floor spacer who operates from a foot beyond the three-point arc. How many guys have undergone more dramatic transitions within a career?
1: When you look at his final year on the Nets to the year he spent with the Lakers, to his first season in Milwaukee, to probably his second. And like That is the wild... It's probably listen, That's the wildest five-year span because you have to include last year when he made all defense, too.
0: I, I did not remember that he played on the Lakers.
1: That, and look, it was because of the time that he spent with the Lakers that he ended up s- signing for the biannual with Milwaukee. It was a one-year, like $3 million deal, whatever it is. So yeah, I'm absolutely with you. Josh asks are the nets bucks and sixers the three best teams in the nba
0: I mean no. no like we definitely cannot leave the utah jazz out of that conversation considering they were the best team throughout the entire regular season and it was not fluky
1: yeah there's i don't we we probably i apologize for our tone josh if that came off as condescending uh, there's i think you could make a stronger argument here for these three teams because the lakers are still banged up The Suns with CP3 being banged up, I would still say the Jazz are right there. They're still the fact that they let the Grizzlies hang around so much uh, in Game Three is just like, oh, okay. Uh, But that, yeah, they're still working Donovan Mitchell back in the fold. When you look at how many offensive weapons they have, what they're able to do defensively still because of Rudy Gobert, I I think there might be two of the three best teams in the NBA in that group. Though, is that
0: I'm good with that. I'm good with that, and, I, and Josh, I will not apologize for our tone on this question. And if you don't like it, you can just yell at me on Messenger at some point,
1: or just yell at him anyway. Please, someone he does I'm, enough of that already. Someone submit a speaker request and yell at Adam. I'm here for anyone yelling I'm at him.
0: I'm tired of looking up at Josh in some fantasy league standings.
1: <laughs> um, G. Biano. And I apologize if I pronounced that last name extremely poorly. In lieu of the reports today, what do you think Colin Sexton's trade value is? One thing I want to touch on here, and this is not G's fault, we don't need to cover thoughts as rumors. And Terry Pluto of the Cleveland Plain Dealer heard from two executives that, that they floated the idea of maybe Colin Sexton being traded. That is not a rumor. It is not a report. It is two execs possibly from other teams who want Colin Sexton throwing it out there. Now, that being said, the idea of trading Colin Sexton to me is not bonkers because he is coming up for his extension and he's an extremely difficult player to value. And he gets even harder for the Cavs because they're not ready to win right now. And so if you sign, this has nothing to do with Kevin Love. His deal is the the light, he has two years left. There's a light at the end of the tunnel there. If you can't move him this year, there'll be some weird-ass buyout next year, or they'll be able to move him, something, whatever. Colin Sexton's is extension eligible this year. Big money deal kicks in the following year. Also, when Darius Garland is extension eligible. Jared Allen is getting paid this summer in restricted free agency. You fast forward two more seasons then. Your core is those three guys, plus Isaac Okoro, plus whoever you drafted, this year maybe lamar stevens pans out you look at the rest of the roster the little flyers they've taken but you have those three big money players are they worth i'm gonna say sexton jared allen and darius garland a combined 70 to 70 i'll say 70 million dollars because let's say because that's what you're looking at and the answer is no and oh they're worth that if that's what they get i want to make that clear i want every single player in the (laughs) nba to make i love how
0: often you clarify that just FYI. Yes, because
1: I think it needs to be. There needs to be that level of empathy there. But if you don't think Colin Sexton is going to get paid by someone, there were only eleven other players in the league this year who averaged over twenty points while shooting better than fifty percent on two and thirty-seven percent from three. That actually sounds like an extensive list. When you look at the names, it's pretty much a list of All NBA candidates: Jalen Brown, Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, Joel Embiid, Kyrie Irving. Nicole Jokic, Zach Levine, Kawhi Leonard, Damian Lillard, Jason Tatum, and Colin Anthony Towns. Those are all max contract players. I know Jalen Brown didn't get a max. I know Zach Levine's value is probably debatable. If any one of those players hit free agency this summer or next summer, they're getting a max contract. So if I'm, Colin, sure. Sexton, if I'm Colin Sexton and his agent, and you're coming in with an extension offer that's below max money, I'm probably turning it down unless we're in the $20-plus million neighborhoods where it's really making you think about it. And that's why Colin Sexton could theoretically become available because he's not a point guard, and we need to stop judging him as such. His vision has gotten better on the move. Still gets that tunnel vision, though. Uh, his defense comes and goes. He really looks the part sometimes on ball. Like he, I don't think it's... And when he looks the part, I don't mean that he's effective. He just looks like he should be a good defender when he's on the ball. It's fine if you think that he doesn't need to be that guy and Darius Garland is. I don't know if that's the backcourt to funnel fifty million dollars into per year, fifty plus. And that that I think is the reasoning behind would you shop Colin Sexton this year? I'm gonna follow it up with this now before I throw it to you. Moving really good players on rookie deals is incredibly difficult. And I think the Hawks ran into this with John Collins this year. You're not getting equal value in players because these guys make so little. In Colin Sexton's case next year He's going to be making 6.4 million, 6.3 million, actually, even less than 6.4. You're not getting a. There's no $6.4 million player that just has Colin Sexton's value for the
0: most part. You have to. Aside from other other guys on rookie scale contracts, which you're not going to (laughs) get.
1: Right. And you could attach him to more money, but like, what is the. Like, if you attach him to Kevin Love, Getting off of Kevin Love's salary then becomes one of the assets you're getting back in that deal. And so that's why things here are so tricky. What would you do if you're Cleveland in this situation, Adam?
0: I would just keep building. I I wholeheartedly agree with everything that you've had to say. I mean, when I saw the the quote-unquote trade rumors, it was like, okay, sure. Like, What are we doing here? This is definitely just... Another executive from an opposing team trying to drum up some interest and maybe tempt Cleveland into parting with him, which is never going to happen. Colin Sexton is the guy, regardless of whether there's like abrasiveness in the locker room or in terms of his on court style and maybe not getting the ball to enough other players. Like, okay, he's a young guard on a bad team. Like, that's kind of what happens. And put he's, your name to this shit if you're going to come Sexton out and bash the your teammate, player, Yeah. Put Colin Sexton is the kind of player that you want to acquire if you're a rebuilding team, and the Cavs are a rebuilding team. So, like, there is no fire associated with this smoke. I, as a quick side note, though, I also want to say that one of my favorite things about the locker room recordings is when somebody pops into the room and requests to speak at, while having like no idea what the conversation is, and like, I'm not going to interrupt it to let somebody speak when they don't know what's going on, and then immediately leaves the room. I just I get a huge kick out of it every time it happens.
1: Shout out, are you talking about?
0: We had a couple up? of them. Yeah, we had a couple no. of them while you were talking about Colton Sexton. And we appreciate everyone who is in the room and listening. And we do try to get to questions that are dropped in the chat or if you've been here listening and want to speak, like please feel free. And it's we just are here it's, it's funny to me when there's a Mesa. speaker request, like as somebody populates the room.
1: We had two speaker requests. As soon as I created it, I was like, "I we haven't even like started yet. What is you don't, you don't even know what's happening?" It does say ask is anything though. So There doesn't need to be a topic per se, right? The on the Colin Sexton really quickly though, I understand what you're saying. I would I would keep him too. But what are you? You know, if you're in extension talks, what are you giving him?
0: Hmm. I, I mean, I think you're still looking at something close to a max deal. Like, let's I think not you forget sign him if it's twenty. If,
1: if Absolutely. it's
0: 20, otherwise you wait. Sure. But let, let's not forget how ridiculously good he was at the start of this season.
1: And let's also not forget that he was also good for most of last year. So this scoring and efficiency is not new for him. It's not an anomaly. If you want to wait and see what his market is, that's a team's right. As restricted. When I'm,
0: when I'm evaluating ahead. a young player going forward, I'm often, if they're on a really bad team, like the Cavaliers I'm often more interested in what they do at the start of the season anyway because that's when everyone is more fresh and I I'm, I I see them wearing down you know it, it's obvious to me that the offensive load Sexton was asked to carry on a bad team that's losing night after night following the hot the hot streak at the start of the year that is a really tough load for any young offensive oriented player to carry and it doesn't surprise me when they decline a little bit you know, there, you can obviously learn stuff throughout the year, but in that specific scenario, I am more willing to buy into the, the peak that we saw, even if it came earlier in the year.
1: That's an interesting way to look at it. I never thought of it that way.
0: Maybe that's why, why we've disagreed on player rankings in the past.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. Um few more questions here. This one came in recently from virgil why is julius randall so bad so stepping this that's what we already talked about i want to change the topic here because virgil at the top of the podcast you talked about why randall's struggling right now and there's clearly some like the yips in here because like he couldn't finish at the rim and his free throw shooting was not great um what would you give him in an extension per year this is and julius i want randall? him to get yeah well if you're the knicks ideally to make you after seeing what's happened in the playoffs thus far. And let's say, you, let's say you get bounced in five.
0: what I mean, would you? I, I still think you're looking at like 2022. 20, yeah. He's in his you, head. I think it's pretty obvious that he's in his head right now. Like he's forcing the issue with his passes. His decisions aren't as split second as they became during the regular season. He's forcing up shots that even as high of a degree of difficulty as he thrived with, during the regular season like they're getting harder still and it's not just a byproduct of the the Hawks playing good defense against him like to me he's very much in his head and that's not all that uncommon when you're in your first playoff run
1: and i think is the overarching point that we already mentioned this is probably more so a harbinger of what's wrong with the Knicks roster construction than necessarily Julius Randle there's a cap on how good you can be when Julius Randle is the vessel through which you create all of your offense because you need him to be the passer and the primary scorer, and that shouldn't be surprising.
0: As we get another speaker request and bounce.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Joe Schmlow asks, non-playoff question.
0: Real name, by the way.
1: What Definitely should, real name. What should the Spurs do with DeMar? Sign and trade, re-sign, or let him walk for nothing? I think there's another question they need to ask first. What is Greg Popovich doing? Do you think yeah. he's back next year?
0: I never want to speculate about that because I have no way of knowing. And Greg Popovich is one of those people who has earned the right to decide when he retires. So I Tim will Duncan respect whatever though, right? decision he makes.
1: It's When he leaves, it's going to be very Tim Duncan. The announcement just
0: comes. No sure, one realizes yeah. it's coming. Like, you know, yeah, the future is under
1: deliberation, but he just walks.
0: It's going to be something like the announcement is the next head coach. It's going to be like, Becky Hammond takes over as San Antonio Spurs head coach. Like, not even a mention of Popovich.
1: The I He's earned the right to coach as long as he wants. I will say, though, as long as the Spurs remain in this limbo, it does put their trajectory at a disadvantage unless Coach Pop says, I don't need to be coaching a, a, a team that's competing necessarily during my final years because right. they're at a crossroads. It's as Joe Schmo, real name, of course, mentions – DeMar, but there's also Rudy Gay. There's Patty Mills. And what are you doing from here? Are you resigning how many of those guys? You have another lottery pick coming. Devin Vassell. DeJounte Murray is fine. He's already on a second deal, and he's, he's fairly young. Derek White, when he's healthy, his second deal kicks in. The Spurs are at this very weird point where they have a lot of quality younger guys, and everyone who's listened to us before knows how I love me some Devin Vassell. I think he's going to be spectacular. Do they have the blue chip guy? I think DeJounte Murray is the closest they come.
0: I I don't think they do, which is why I want them to embrace being bad. So I think my answer to the original question would be like, just move on. If If you can broker a sign and trade, awesome. If you can't, don't back yourself into a corner by trying to resign. And that's nothing against DeMar DeRozan, who I think I've enjoyed watching this version of DeRozan more than any other version, even if the Spurs haven't been as competitive as some of his previous teams. Because he's playing like peak Demar Derozan basketball. He's developed as a passer. He's no longer trying to force those three point shots that aren't part of his game as much as the analytically driven minds want him to take those. Uh, It's been fun to watch because he's playing with that like level of joy again, even if it isn't translating into winning. And I just I want him to end up in in another good situation. So like personally, I would love to see him back. But if I'm speaking on behalf of the franchise. I think you have to, at some point, embrace fully turning it over to the young guys.
1: What's interesting here is you get into a John Collins, Kevin Love type situation where DeMar DeRozan is extremely good. Where's the team that's going to pay him if it's not San Antonio? And I don't know. People have talked about Toronto. I don't know if that really makes sense for them. Um, I guess it theoretically could. I think in theoretically he makes sense to the lakers but they just don't have the cap space to do that they could use someone exactly like him though to lead those no lebron minutes he'd be perfect there but you're looking at other teams i don't you know do the knicks enter this equation because they have cap space and they need someone you know he'll get he gets to play with the three point shooting version of himself and rj barrett essentially um he can be interesting in miami
0: (sighs) yeah just Just more of that go-to scorer mold
1: but just between him, Jimmy Butler, and Bam, all not shooting threes, the, yeah, like that—that that gets tight. Smuck it there. up on a
0: nightly basis.
1: If you had to, pre- if you had to predict, though, is he in San Antonio next season?
0: I I have no feel for this one. I'm gonna I say no, probably because-, because I I think I'm gonna lean towards yes because I do think Pop is gonna be back for another year, and I don't think that while he's there that they'll embrace the full scare te- the full scale teardown. But uh, pure speculation.
1: I just don't think they could get him and it would be franchise malpractice to sign him to like a three or four year deal. I don't know if they could get him on a one plus one unless you're paying him the max, which maybe that's the option is here's max money. Just stay a yeah. little while longer. Dallas would be interesting for him just to give Luka Doncic that second shot creator. I could see that. You look disgusted, actually. I know you say you could no, see it. No, I was just fat.
0: thinking about it because I didn't like the initial. The, my initial thought was that I don't really love the fit, probably for the shooting reasons again, because I think you ultimately want to surround Luca with shooters at every position because so much of his game is based on those drives. So I, my initial reaction was, was negative, but I think it can still work.
1: Rudy Gay and Patty Mills are either of those two back at San Antonio.
0: No, definitely not.
1: I'll be interested to see where Patty Mills goes. One of those guys Rudy who Gale. he's,
0: he's going to fit anywhere. Rudy Gay fits anywhere, too, at this stage of his career.
1: Well, Yeah, anyone wants a bad basketball player. <laughs> uh, Carson asked, if you put Lillard on the Pacers, would they be title contenders? Someone followed up in the mentions, does CJ go with him, and who do the Blazers get in return? Carson clarified by saying, not a trade hypothetical. Just literally add Dame to the Blazers uh, to the Pacers current roster. My reasoning is: I think the, the Pacers are, are group of group of role players without a true star. And I think Dame is star is a star without solid role players. I disagree with the latter point a great deal. I think that Robert Covington, Yusuf Nurkic is probably a little bit better than a role player. Uh, even Melo, solid role player right now. Well, my issue with this exercise is if you put Damian Millard on the Pacers, who are deep at every position at full strength of good NBA players, yes, they're a contender. Absolutely. Now, you said if, but
0: how is this happening exactly?
1: Right. So there need to be a trade of some sort. And so, right, so if the it's, Blazers are.
0: Well, not if the Blazers buy out Lillard.
1: <laughs> no. Look at if. Let's take. Let's say it costs. I don't even know what it would cost because Sabonis and Turner don't make sense for the Blazers.
0: And we can't let's take say, away any key pieces or also invalidates the question.
1: Well, no, let's take away key pieces. Let's take away – let's say it was a 80 team, an 80-team trade. Whatever, However <laughs> many teams it takes to do this, you have to remove two of Turner. Let's remove their two best players and put Damian Lillard on the Pacers. So Sabonis and Brogdon?
0: I think Turner is still better.
1: Than Brogdon? Did you have yeah. an edible before this podcast? I did not. All right. Well, all right. So you want to take away Sabonis and Turner. They have no center at this point. But Can we take away Sabonis and someone else then? Sabonis and... That wasn't
0: what you originally asked. I, can the parameters away- of this question are changing too fast for me to comprehend. All
1: right. So if you take Sabonis and Turner off this team and put Dame, are they a contender?
0: Is Dame playing the five?
1: <laughs> apparently because you <laughs> just ripped the blazers of all their bigs
0: no let's let's take away sabonis and brogdon just because that makes more sense from a roster construction standpoint i don't think
1: either of those guys would be headed to portland in this Dame trade by the way i'm just no. i'm I'm using it as you can't just put dame we on the pacers that's just not we refuse to do that <laughs> yeah i refused
0: all right so are what they, are we what are we looking at there then so we're looking at Levert, warren well, well we're looking at at point guard we have damon mcconnell and Aaron Holiday. We have Lavert, Jeremy Lamb, T.J. Warren, Justin Holiday, Sabonis McDermott, and – or no, we took away Sabonis. So McDermott and Miles Turner. I don't think that's a contender. Is, is it, it better than is the is Blazers? Is it an upgrade from – I don't think it's an upgrade from, from the Blazers. Because
1: th- I think the thing is their second-best player could be one of three players. I think you default to Turner, but it could be Lavert. It could be a healthy Warren. We'll see what he looks like after injury. I don't know that either of those guys are even close to on the same level as C.J. McCollum, who is—dude is a bucket. Smooth as butter in a bucket. So, yes, if you put Damian Lillard on the current version—if it was Damian Lillard for Aaron Holiday, the Pacers are maybe one of the three best teams in the Eastern Conference, if not better than that. All right, I have a follow-up
0: question for you. Okay. Okay. If you put Luka Doncic on the Los Angeles Lakers, <laughs> just without a trade, would they be contenders?
1: I feel like you're. I feel like you're being too mean about the nature of the question. I I have your back here, Carson. <laughs> I'm all for putting Dame on the Pacers. I'm. I'm just Antarctica. having fun,
0: Carson. Um, oh, we have a we have a speaker request from Noah, and we are we're going to finally this one.
1: Noah after all these years, a
0: long time lurker, first time speaker here. How's it here? going, Noah? Uh, it's going good, guys. How are you guys? We're doing well. I, I am I doing mean, better I'm, than Dan, I'm I am in
2: shambles, actually. Oh, I'm in, sh- I'm in shambles as well. Don't worry. It's It's been a emotional...
0: Is activity. my honorary Knicks fandom being revoked here? Is that the purpose of this speaker request?
1: Your of humanity course. card is being revoked because you're enjoying <laughs> this too much.
0: <laughs> um, but,
2: I mean, since you guys were talking about Dame and the Blazers, I had a question earlier, but do you guys think that... Um, Portland, Denver getting Portland in the first round. Do you think that was the worst possible matchup for them, especially given all those injuries, especially at the point guard spot with Murray and Morris not being available?
0: Um, Among the teams they could have played, I think so. Like, obviously, like, the Suns or the Jazz would have been a worse matchup just by virtue of them being so good. But that was not a favorable matchup, especially given how scorching hot Portland was heading into the playoffs.
1: Yeah, and I would have rather played the Headcase Clippers if I was Denver. Would have worked out better for them. In
2: in all honesty, it feels like uh, we're seeing, first off, Yusuf Nurkic is playing very well. And like Norman Powell, last night's performance, he was extremely efficient. Damian Lillard doesn't even have to be the best player Mm -hmm. on the floor. I don't even think Damian Lillard had 15 points last night for the um, Blazers to win. But do you guys see the Nuggets getting past the first round, even if? things stay like maybe everything normalizes and Nicole Jokic starts passing the ball more. But do <laughs> you guys see um Denver pulling this through?
1: Denver and seven, baby. Sticking oh, by my pick. You're sticking
0: with it? I'm I'm gonna flip. I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Portland here because if I've had my honorary Knicks fandom card revoked, I might as well take away the honorary Denver one as well. If you told me that uh the Dame was gonna score ten points on one of ten shooting and the Blazers were gonna win by twenty points I don't know that I would ever have believed that. And this, this Portland team with Powell playing so well and Nurkic filling his role and wanting to prove Kendrick Perkins wrong about his defense, like this is a really good team. And Denver has, I think it's, it's similar to like what we saw from the Golden State Warriors in the play-in game, where so much energy was expended to maintain this level coming into the playoffs that with the shallow nature of the rotation because of all the injuries, it's just really hard to maintain that level now.
2: Yeah, I agree. Especially because I feel like Michael Porter Jr. isn't really playing. I mean, he's been playing really well throughout the entire season, but like this is the big stage now and it's th- certainly not the bubble. And we've seen every, every young player has gotten their bubble superpowers revoked in the playoffs. So, Shout out Tyler Hero. Yes, especially Tyler Hero. So I don't know. I feel like I, I picked Portland to win this series, but I did not expect their offense to be firing at all, all on all, not even all cylinders because um, obviously Damon Lillard hasn't been as efficient, but CJ McCollum's been good. The bench has been way better than expected, but yeah, I, I continue to pick Portland in like six games, I think.
1: Oh, six. Think, so they're just win three in a row. Cause they already yeah, won think, game four. I think so.
2: I, I knew they already stole the game in Denver and I don't, I'm surprised that they lost at home, but they are really good at home. And I don't know if Denver can, like, make the correct adjustments. Especially if Facundo Campazzo is your second best player right now in the series, that's, <laughs> not not wrong. Really, that's not really the best thing, you know.
1: I think as a Knicks fan, you should be rooting for the Blazers to lose so that Damian Lillard wants out. It's I,
2: just... You know, I support or, the Blazers on my second team.
1: I do not
0: endorse this right now.
1: Well, look, you could play levels here where it's, okay, you want the Blazers to win so that they're coaxed into paying Norman Powell all this money only to be even more stuck than they already were. And then Dame wants out, not this summer, but the next one. I see where you're going with this, Noah. I like it. I definitely, (laughs) that's clearly what, that's that's the angle you're playing. And I'm with you. Blazers in six. Let's go, baby. Yes.
0: (sighs) Co-hosting with Dan is exhausting sometimes.
1: Thank you for speaking, Noah. That was great. If anyone else, we have one question left is our actual mailbag. I think maybe two. I have to scroll through this, but if anyone else wants to speak, you now would be the time to do it. Adam is monitoring those like a hawk. This one is not Joe Timesmo what asked. What was that?
0: I see what you did there.
1: Yeah. Um, not Joe Timesmo asks, if Jordan is better than oh, I didn't realize this is a troll question. If Jordan <laughs> is better than LeBron because of the rings, then is Robert Horry the goat? No, Bill Russell is. So, should we move on?
0: <laughs> that was a great answer. I do enjoy that answer.
1: I do have a question. And this, there's a, I I think this is going to become pretty relevant. Let's talk about as if it's happening. What in the actual hell are the Lakers going to do if Anthony Davis is just a no go moving forward? He left the. First, uh, he didn't start the second half of Lakers Suns, and the Lakers are currently getting blown out as we record this. And I say blown out because it's double digits, and that just feels like a when you are out of Anthony Davis, that feels a little insurmountable.
0: Can the that Lakers could age very poorly by the time right. this is public tomorrow?
1: <laughs> Look, as as the official national media member driving the the Suns and seven bandwagon, I am going to just assume they win this game. They're up by thirteen now. It's over. It's done. Can the Lakers beat the Suns? Two times in three tries. If Anthony Davis is is a no go,
0: no. I mean, your your original question was, what happens to the Lakers if Anthony Davis is a no go? And the answer is very simple: they lose.
1: Come on, you don't think LeBron could win two of three?
0: No, I. Uh, doubting LeBron James is like career malpractice, especially in the playoffs, but. Have you watched LeBron James in these playoffs and gotten the same feeling that you have in previous ones? Within this the, feels, di- this feels like it's the beginning of the post-prime. Okay. okay. And I hate that. Easy. I hate that. Easy. No, it does. Okay. It does. Okay. It has, we've, we've, consistently, we've consistently, for the last few years, seen that he is able to elevate his game so significantly in the playoffs that it doesn't matter who the MVP was that season, we come out of the playoffs being like, is LeBron still the best player in the league? There is no way that you could have watched the play-in tournament and this first round and gotten that same feeling.
1: Okay, look, a couple things here. With the exception of Game 3, when it looked like it didn't look like he was just attacking the basket more, I agree with you. However, he is, had no – he had two games – before we shifted into play in postseason mode, to to play through or to recover from that ankle injury, right? So it should be fresh. No, get out of here! Come on, he is. This dude is thirty six years old, and I think oh, the deserves- fact that he's
0: playing like this at thirty six is an achievement in and of itself.
1: Right, but look, you're sitting here. You're saying. Okay, LeBron. In my Josh Smith jersey. Yeah, let's talk about low-efficiency takes right now. Jesus fucking Christ. I'm like, my head is spinning. The dude is averaging, not including Game 4 right now, 21 points, 9 assists, 2 steals, shooting 38.1% from 3, over 50% on his two-pointers. I understand if you think, if the Lakers don't have Anthony Davis, I think because of LeBron's ankle injury and not having that ramp-up time, I get it.
0: I said you, post-prime you, LeBron James, you not post-prime said, NBA player.
1: You just all of a sudden said that LeBron is on the decline. I'm not letting yeah, you get no away shit. with that. Yeah, it might eventually come, but you're going to use three games, three, as evidence of this.
0: When we've previously used those small samples where he elevates his performance and wills his team to victories in the playoffs, yeah, I'm going to.
1: Three games, three. What is the evidence that he is on the permanent – Sustainable, irreversible decline. Taco J has said we have a debate and Celtics in seven. If, <laughs> look, if if Celtics beat the Nets in seven games, uh, I might die from Jacques. So, look, I mean, I agree Noah, with what
0: Noah, Noah is saying too that J- Jay Crowder isn't even playing that well defensively. I'm not sure Mikhail Bridges has been playing that well defensively. And we just haven't seen that takeover LeBron that we've seen in previous postseasons. Again, again like, He's playing at an all NBA level. He's a phenomenal player still, but I don't think that you can watch like what happened during the regular season, the increasing deference to Anthony Davis, the increasing reliance on the supporting cast. And now this and not think that he's headed down, even if it's a marginal decline. But like, this is the first time in forever. Where I've watched LeBron and not felt like the conversation coming out of the playoffs, regardless of how far they go, is going to be that he's the best player in the league. If they win this title, the conversation is going to be if Anthony Davis is the best player in the league.
1: No, oh, man. Okay. How many games How many games has LeBron played since he suffered his ankle injury in total? How many games?
0: Uh, this would be his fifth game or his seventh game, right? Including the the brief return. And I do agree with what Taco J just said in the chat, which is that he's playing well on a bad ankle. It's hard to elevate your game with an injury that affects your athleticism. No doubt.
1: No yeah, doubt. so his but- career
0: is over. <laughs> I feel like you're <laughs> no, you're no, trying he, to warp my argument here.
1: No, I'm not trying to – but you're also saying like he's had a co-star who's not a co-star. And I think Noah brings up a, a great For point sure. about his supporting cast. I think that was Noah. Yeah, or no. Yeah, and this, is, this isn't this is the – oh, his supporting cast stands he isn't the best of his career. I agree with that. You need, I want to, you need two stars at least in this league to win a championship. So I'm not if he can't lead this Lakers team as the seven seed to a championship while AD isn't playing consistently up to his ability because we saw him in the second half of was that game two where he was pretty dominant. That's that's evidence of nothing. You wanna you need to find but it, I'm longer not talking term about results. evidence that this I'm is the I'm not talking about the results. Moment.
0: I'm talking about watching him play. Like do you but get my that point. feeling of inevitability right now?
1: No, after seven games, you just said doubting LeBron is career malpractice. And you're going to say seven games is enough to show you that yeah, I don't you don't have a career anymore. <laughs> Fair enough. But, and look, first of all, two of those games towards the end of the regular season, he was just monstrous in sub 30 minutes. So I totally, completely, wholly. Reject the notion. Okay, that okay. let me
0: reframe this. So for those who are listening and aren't familiar, at NBA Math, we always do the crystal basketball rankings, both going into a season that's more predictive and then coming out of a season that's more retroactive. So Dan, when you fill out your crystal basketball ballot for the 2021-2022 season, where is LeBron going to fall?
2: I mean, he's going to fall in the top
1: five. You're you're displacing LeBron from the top five. No, is what you're telling me. Then what's the no. problem? That's not post. That's not post. Are you, are you going?
0: Are you going to consider putting him at number one?
1: I might. Have the playoffs finished yet? I'm also not going to read too much into a seven game sample size when this dude has been superhuman for the past almost two decades.
0: All right. We'll see, I, we'll, we'll is, see as, no, as it continues to progress. but
1: We have to get out of here. So this is how I would like you to frame it. I'm going to try and not be as angry right now. <laughs> but if you want to tell me that you think age is finally going to catch up with LeBron, that is perfectly fine. I will accept it. You are basing it off of no evidence whatsoever that LeBron has given you. Is, uh, that would be my stance here. If you're using seven games to say that this doesn't feel this feels like the end of lebron's prime or whatever i i don't want to use the word respect because i do actually respect you as as much as i want to strangle you right now i would accept the other argument more than the one that you seem to be making right now and everyone who's listening i hopefully can catch the tone of how hyperbolic i'm being about adam saying that lebron is dog shit. i just don't if this was another player maybe and I understand he's age 36. That needs to be the argument. Oh, that's going to be age 37 next season. This feels like it's going to be the end. It's not, oh, the look at LeBron the in this argument, three-game though. series. What but was that?
0: It's, it's the unspoken part of the argument where we do know his age and the mileage he's racked up throughout his career. And this is the most significant missed time he's had due to an injury. And he's coming out of it. And in the past, no matter what the injury has been, he's come out of it and immediately returned to that ridiculously high level. If there was a game where his cohorts were missing time or ineffective, he has been able to step up and become more impactful. And we're just not seeing that. And that, to me, is the first indication that we've really had that the decline is coming.
1: I just don't. If this were happening while Anthony Davis was Anthony Davis, and I'm not even talking about him being ruled out for the game with the left groin strain, thanks for sending the Rachel Nichols tweet in here, Taco Jay. This is just the the heights he was playing at this season when Anthony Davis still wasn't Anthony Davis. I just can't. I won't even. They still weren't this as this. high
0: as the previous season's heights, though. And I, I really hope that I'm wrong. Like LeBron is one of my all-time favorite players. I hope that he, he has nothing but success in the coming years. He, I,
1: I just so 26, eight and eight playing all defense level, maybe defense, close to it. It's also not tougher, but it's,
0: but it's tougher to cite those per game numbers in today's NBA where everybody is putting up gigantic numbers because we're seeing faster paces and better offenses. Like twenty six eight and eight this year is not the same as twenty six eight and eight three years ago. Even
1: if he's doing it in under thirty five minutes a game,
0: a valid argument.
1: I'm so triggered right now. Is that the phrase <laughs> that the kids are using? We have to get out of here. I'm I'm am I'm, I'm all I'm hot bothered right now. Thank you for everyone who stuck with us and joined us and contributed to this conversation. It was super fun. Once we get off the air, I'm going to cuss Adam out for at least five to seven minutes straight. Uh, we are Hardwood Knox. If you have not listened to us before, we are here. Every Sunday, 4 p.m., normally do AMAs. We'll cover some of the hottest topics, too, like we did at the top of this with the playoffs. Follow us on Twitter, at Knox, spelled exactly as it sounds. Until next time, we leave you with a shout-out to the one, the only, Kyle Kuzma's backup, third-ballot Hall of Famer, maybe, LeBron James.